Apostles. The account of the early church in the book of Acts is more than a book of the Bible. It is history. It is our history, as we are part of the church. We are reading about our church forefathers when we read and study the book of Acts. The book of Acts marks a pivotal turning point in redemptive history. Acts describes the history of the mission of the early church, and because we are part of the church's mission and history, this book is of great importance to us. The history of the book of Acts covers a relatively short period of time. Commentator Michael Green stated this about this fact. Three crucial decades in church history. That is all it took. In years between A.D. 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In these 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe, it has an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and, of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed of all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. When I first read that above quote, I got chills down my back when I read the last five words. And then the Spirit came. Now the title, this is the book of Acts is commonly called the Acts of the Apostles. It is also called just Acts or the book of Acts. In some of the oldest manuscripts, it might appropriately be called some of the Acts of some of the Apostles. Since it does not try to describe all of the Acts of all of the Apostles. Rather, the focus is clearly on some of the acts or deeds of mostly Peter, the key figure in the first half, and Paul, the key figure in the second half. It might also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as the person of the Godhead is very much an active participant throughout this book. The author, though he does not mention himself by name, the author is undoubtedly Luke, physician and frequent traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. From Acts 1, 1-3 we learn Acts is the second historical account to Theophilus, the first being the gospel universally attributed to Luke. Luke virtually wrote nothing about his own life. This is a sign of great humility. Acts 1, 1-3 says, The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, unto the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he had showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now Luke is described as the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14, and the vocabulary of both the Gospel of Luke and Acts shows the evidence of a medical mind. Mentioned as a fellow laborer in Philemon 24, who was with Paul in his last days, 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke often accompanied Paul on his travels beginning with his second journey. I can imagine Luke's medical skills came in handy, Paul regularly needed a doctor and medical care after all those beatings he took. By carefully noting the use of we and they in the book of Acts, we glean that Luke joined Paul at Troas, we see that in chapter 16, and remained at Philippi, until Paul later picked him up on his way to Troas in chapter 20. The book ends with Luke accompanying Paul to his imprisonment in chapter 28. It is evident Luke was very careful to provide historically accurate account in both his gospel and the book of Acts. 
Luke's writings show remarkable depth and precise historical research. Luke traveled and carefully interviewed those with key roles in Christ's life. He investigated and reported on a vast amount of information. In fact, in Luke and Acts, they are comprised of more material than all of Paul's letters combined. And since Luke was a companion of Paul, it is clear he was involved with the writing the majority of the New Testament. And that's something to think about. Luke's material that he wrote, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, comprise more written material than all of Paul's letters combined. So he contributed more to the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. But he also accompanied the Apostle Paul and was involved with the writing of the majority of the New Testament. Not something you often think about, that Luke was involved in the writing the majority of the New Testament. Now Sir William Ramsey, archaeologist who started his career to prove Luke to be an error, offered this testimony as a result of his research. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. In short, this author should be placed along the greatest of historians. In fact, Luke provides the only record of the first 30 years of the early church. Luke clearly has an evangelistic emphasis. He includes some 20 sermons in the book of Acts, which accompany around one-fourth of the entire book. Luke wanted to win his readers to Christ. Luke shows what led to explosive growth of Christianity, and that is the proclamation of the gospel message. Luke had a spiritual expectancy to his writings. The Holy Spirit is mentioned five times in the book of Matthew, four times in Mark, and is mentioned 53 times in Luke and Acts combined. That says a lot about Luke. With the start of his gospel and continued on into Acts, is a continuous narrative of the Spirit at work. After his baptism, Jesus is recorded as being full of the Holy Spirit. After Pentecost, his disciples are being recorded as being full of the Holy Spirit. Luke speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit more than any other New Testament writer. Luke was clearly fascinated with the work of the Spirit and with the church. We all need the spiritual expectancy that Luke possessed. This is the sort of climate that God can work when people are expecting and trusting him to do so. Now the recipient of the, both the gospel and Acts, they were written to one man, Theophilus. We see that in Luke 1.3 and Acts 1.1. His name means God lover. Ramsey suggested the use of most excellent in Luke 1.3 was a title like your excellency and that Theophilus was a government official of high rank. It is not used in Acts 1.1, and one intriguing possibility is that he became a believer in between receiving the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Some have entertained the possibility that Theophilus was a Roman official in charge of administering Paul's case before Caesar, and that the Gospel and Acts were written to help him understand the facts of Jesus Christ and Paul's role in the history of of the church. Now the time and place of writing. The book ends abruptly with Paul under house arrest awaiting trial in Rome, chapter 28. This may indicate that the book was written before Paul's trial and eventual release. The dates for Paul's first imprisonment in Rome are 60 to 62 AD. If the book was just before or after Paul's release, then it was likely written around 63 AD and from Rome. Now the purpose of the book. 
As indicated previously, the original purpose of both the Gospel and Acts may have been to assist Theophilus in some official capacity in learning about Jesus and his apostles. Yet the inspiration and preservation of the book would indicate an important future role in the providence of God. The value of Acts is also seen in that it provides the historical framework for the epistles found in the New Testament. From Romans to Revelation, names, places, events are mentioned upon which light is shown by the historical account of Acts. Without Acts, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be left without a satisfying answer to the question, what happened next? Now the theme of the book. The book begins in Jerusalem and ends at Rome. It describes the establishment and growth of the Lord's Church throughout the Mediterranean world through the work of the Apostles and other Christians under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We read their sermons and see the conversions which resulted as they carried out the Great Commission. We learn how local churches were established and much of their work, worship, and organization. But mostly, we see the faith and efforts of those charged to be witnesses of the Lord and of his resurrection from the dead, an appropriate theme of this book might therefore be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key verse of the book of Acts is Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts chapter 1. Luke briefly reviews what occurred during the 40 days between the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Special attention is given to the promise of the Father regarding the apostles being baptized by the Holy Spirit, who would empower them as witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. The ascension of Jesus is then described in Luke 24, 50-51, along with the promise of his return by two men in white apparel, standing by, verses 9-11. to Obeying the command of the Lord, the apostles return to Jerusalem, where they wait and continue in prayer, along with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During this time, Peter addresses the 120 disciples regarding the Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Both the fall and replacement of Judas were foretold by the Spirit through the mouth of David. So Peter proposes guidelines for nominees to take the place of Judas in the apostolic ministry of being a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Two men are selected for consideration, and following prayer for the Lord to show which of the two he has chosen, lots are cast, and Matthias is numbered with the eleven apostles. Now let's look at the promise of the Father found in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 to 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they would should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. The promise of the Father. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his apostles instructions not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. The apostles have heard of this promise before from Jesus himself. John sixteen twelve to 13 I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, 
he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Related to their being baptized with the Holy Spirit within a few days, of which John the Baptist spoke in Luke chapter 3. But even long before John and Jesus, God began making promises about the Spirit. Let's look at the promise of the Spirit in the Old Testament. The prophecy of Joel. The Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Joel 2, 28-29 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And it shall come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Pentecost. Poured it out upon the Jews there in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. We see many examples in the book of Acts of men prophesying. We also see that Philip's daughters prophesied. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Peter, among others, saw visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Sons and daughters would prophesy. Young and old men would see visions and dream dreams. God's spirit will be poured out on all of his servants and his handmaids. Now let's look at the prophecies of Isaiah. God would pour out his spirit on Israel's descendants like water on dry ground. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Another prophecy related to the promise of the spirit is found in Isaiah 32, 15-17. Found in a section with messianic implications, Isaiah 32, 1. The result of this pouring of the Spirit, justice, righteousness, and peace, Romans 14, 17. Now let's look at the prophecies of Ezekiel concerning the Spirit. One recorded in Ezekiel 36, 26-27 says, And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That sounds like the Holy Spirit. God promises to put His Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit resides within us, if you are saved. Who will cause or enable one to walk in the statutes and keep His judgments? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and His job is to keep us living for the Lord. Another prophecy might relate to the promise of the Holy Spirit is found in Ezekiel 39:29. A prophecy that looks beyond the capacity, the captivity, and restoration of Israel. One that might not have been fulfilled until the coming of the Messiah. Now let's look at the prophecy of Zechariah. The Spirit of grace and supplication to be poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Let's read that again, Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. Pour upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. 
Pentecost happened in Jerusalem. And they shall look upon whom, me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him. A lot of them had great conviction over what had happened. As one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This prompting the people to look upon Jesus, whom they have pierced, and mourn because of him. Acts chapter 2, 32 to 37. Whether the prophecies of Ezekiel and Zechariah have references to a promise that would be fulfilled in the age of Messiah can be questioned. But certainly, the prophecies of Joel and Isaiah demonstrate that God promised an outpouring of the Spirit in a special way. Now let's look at the promise of the Spirit as found in the New Testament, through the preaching of John. He spoke of one coming who would baptize you with the Holy Ghost. While he himself administered a baptism in water, there is one coming who would be the administrator of baptism with the Holy Spirit. The promise was made to large crowds, its nature and full extent revealed in its fulfillment. We know that it is somehow tied to the events of Pentecost in Acts 2, 1-4 because of Jesus' comments in Acts 1, 4-5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them they that should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now the promise of the Spirit in the New Testament as found in the teaching of Jesus. The Spirit will be given to those who would ask the Heavenly Father. Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The Spirit will be given as living water to all those who thirst and come to him in faith and drink. John chapter 7. To his apostles, Jesus promised the Spirit of truth who would be a helper and abide with him. John 14.16-17. Who would bring to their remembrance all things Jesus taught them. John 14.26. Who would bear witness of Christ together with the apostles. John 15.26-27. The Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 7-11 The Spirit would guide the apostles unto all the truth, including things to come. John 16, 12-13 The Spirit would glorify Jesus by taking of what is His and declaring it to them. John 16, 14 Jesus told His apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1 which he clearly connects to the baptism of the Spirit spoken of by John, in which the apostles will receive power and be eyewitnesses, Acts 1.8. Now let's look at the promise of the Spirit in the New Testament in the preaching of Peter. On Pentecost, Peter connects the Spirit's outpouring to Joel's prophecy, Acts 2.14-16. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Can you imagine the impact of that phrase? But this is that which was spoken by the prophet of Joel. They all would have undoubtedly would have been familiar, intimately familiar with the prophecy of Joel. And he says, this is the prophecy of Joel. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet, Joel. This is it. It's happening right now. Can you imagine the impact on those people? How they, was, how they would have felt? Uh, they, it, would, it just would have been 
unbelievable to be in that moment. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is it. Right now. It's happening right now. You're in it. You're here. You're seeing it. You're an eyewitness. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Incredible to think about. Continuing on. Then, of course, of the sermon by Peter. He speaks of the outpouring of the Spirit as a promise Jesus received from the Father. Acts 2.33 and Acts 1.4-5. Offers the gift of the Spirit to all who repent. Acts 2.38. And says the promises to them and others, Acts 2.39. So what does Peter have in mind? The promise received by Christ and poured out by Christ, Acts 2.33. What promise would have come to the mind of his hearers? The spirit which Jesus himself promised to believers, John chapter 7. Would it not have been the promise he just alluded to, which Peter would later say was given to those who obeyed God, Acts chapter 5.32. That we are right in referencing in referring the word promise in this sentence to the promise of the Holy Spirit just made by Peter is evident from the fact that this is the only promise made in the immediate context. Acts 2.39 shows to us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is to all who believe, both Jews and Gentiles. Now let's look at the promise of the Spirit in the New Testament from the teaching of Paul. Regarding those who have been saved, Titus chapter 3 have experienced a washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, have benefited by the Spirit poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Regarding those who have been baptized, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Regarding those in whom the Spirit dwells, Romans chapter 8, 9 to 13, Ephesians 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Their mortal bodies will be given life, no longer debtors to live according to the flesh, are able to put to death the deeds of the body, are to flee immorality because their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And regarding those who believed, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians 1 and 5, have received their promise of the Spirit through faith, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, have received the Spirit as a guarantee or a deposit of our inheritance regarding those who walk after the spirit galatians chapter 5 who will not fulfill the lust of the flesh the works of the flesh will produce the spirit of fruit because they live in the spirit so conclusion of the promise of the father we have seen the following old testament prophets promised a special dispensation of the spirit to come one that would include the manifestation of special gifts one that would enable the people of god to keep his will John and Jesus promised a baptism of the Spirit, administered by Jesus. Peter, in his first gospel sermon, proclaimed this promise to be fulfilled with the outpouring of the Spirit, Acts 2, 16 and 33. Offered the Spirit as a gift to all who obey the gospel, Acts 2, 38 to 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Paul in his epistles wrote much about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, referring to the Spirit as the Holy Spirit of promise. In view of the promise of the Father related to the Holy Spirit, we should not be surprised to read more of the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts, in both the life of the church and in the lives of Christians. To what degree... And in what way the Spirit continues to work today can be ascertained 
by a careful study of the New Testament. Have you experienced the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, made possible because the Father kept his promise to pour out his Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior? Have you experienced that washing of regeneration? Let Peter show you how. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2, 38-39